Brother DeMond for a very long time. Gosh, we go back what feels like decades because some people you feel like you've known them your whole life. And and uh, that is my brother. And I, I really appreciate him for a number of reasons. But one of the key reasons is that it's because of him that we're here at PT. <laughs> he was the one, he and his lovely wife Kia, the ones that introduced us to this amazing community that has poured into us in ways that, that we can't even begin to measure. I uh, will start off, let me make sure I get this in because I don't want to forget it as I get into my text and try to stay on script. My lovely wife. <laughs> who, 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 makes, who, who, makes, who makes every day just such a blessing. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, Damon talked about the force she is in my life but the reality is when you look at her, she's so easy on the eyes <laughs> that, 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 that it becomes really easy to say, yes, honey. <laughs> yes, honey. <laughs> and my wonderful son, Mark, who, you'll, who I thank so much for, for teaching me so much. Um, there are things that I'm doing that I never thought I would do but he's able to look at me and say, Daddy, it's gonna be okay, come on, let's go. So there's always room, even as a dad, to learn from your children. And I thank God and I thank this, for, this community for keeping me open to be able to do that so that I continue my growth, not only just as a father, but just as a man of God. I'd also like to recognize my father, some would say father-in-law, but this is someone I've known for Gosh, met in what, 1984? <laughs> so some of you were born in 84, I'm sure. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, someone who's been just an incredible influence in my life as I continue to, to grow as a man and as a father, someone who has successfully seen three children through lower school education, secondary school education, college, multiple degrees, but through all that, always remaining humble and being clearly understanding of where all of the blessings come from. And that's a big part of what Mr. Williams does in the life of his family, which now also includes me. Now, my first, my first slide actually, <laughs> my, my uh, I, will, I will say you gave me quite a workout before I got up here. It's good to, Good thing my ankle's better. Um, I had some, a, a slide that had some music, but we can bypass the music because I think people have already uh, uh, celebrated and got their happy dance on. But a big part of that happy dance was also just recognizing that it's Father's Day. And I wanted to tell, maybe we'll do it anyway. I wanted to make sure that as dads, we had an opportunity to really celebrate this day. This is, this is important, right? It's very, very important that we take the time to celebrate and to celebrate getting up every day 
and doing what we do as dads. Any dads in the house? Hands, hands, showing of dads, fantastic. All right? Although, although I am going to speak a lot about dads, I think one of the things that happens here at our 1130 service is we get quite a mix of people of various ages and different stages of life. So I'm going to try to make this as general as possible because there's many of the things about being a dad that are just about being a, a person of God. So I'm going to try to make it as, as general as possible. The title of my, of my um, sermon today is Three Little Birds. And for those of you who don't know, I'm Sometimes Dr. Charles, sometimes Brother Charles, sometimes Uncle Charles, and lately I've added Coach Charles to my, to my uh, list of titles there, which is one of my most fun titles that I have recently. Uh, why don't we go on to the next, the next slide here. And I'm going to ask my son to come up and read the scripture for us, largely because I love to hear his voice, and B, I can't read that from here. <laughs> so... So go ahead, Mark. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Thank you, son. So when Bishop sent me a text about doing this, I saw it as a wonderful opportunity to just reflect on what being a father really was. And so I want you to just bear with me for a moment because through this process, it's been asking God to speak into me so that I can speak into you all. So in this process, God allowed me to wrestle with some things about what it is to be a father. And the generalization here that we can apply is a lot of it is just about being a leader about being present when you're supposed to be present, often doing things that are just difficult, okay? Because that is a lot of what we find ourselves in when we are being a father. So I often describe being a father as being one of the most rewarding things that I do, but it's really also one of the most challenging things that I face. And this is with an amazing son who's healthy, talented, academically gifted, and just plain fun to, to hang out with. And, he doesn't have a job, so he didn't pay me to say any of that. That's, that. that's who Mark is. And I contrast that with my dad, because I've got one, one son that I'm doing this with. My dad did that with five of us. And as I was wrestling with this, I was just thinking, how did, how does he, how did he do that? So as I was praying and wrestling with this, God, the Lord directed me to Exodus. Now, I've read Exodus so many times. We've all heard the story of Moses and, and Moses freeing the, the Israelites from Egypt. Have they been there for 430 years? And what struck me about it this time is I was seeing it through a different lens. And this is what happens when you open up and you let God to direct you in this. I was looking at this in a very different way, in a way that I quite honestly did, didn't notice before. 
But I realize, and for context, because it is important here, the context here is that you know, Moses, and I'll skip some of the beginning part, but Moses was in Egypt. He was raised in Egypt. He got into a situation. <laughs> he ended up killing an Egyptian. He ended up leaving Egypt. He ended up finding himself in front of a burning bush. And at that burning bush, it's a little different from Bishop's text to me. Maybe that's how they communi- you know, the communication there. I got a text. Uh, Moses got the burning bush. But at that, at that point in time, but it's similar. It's similar because Moses was going to be asked to do something. Right? Moses was going to be asked to do something. And what was Moses' response? And God said, look, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to free my people so they can worship me. And Moses' response was, it's me? I know you want to send somebody else. You don't mean me. Right? You don't mean me. That was Moses' response. And Moses wrestled with this. But what did Moses do? He was prompted because God gave him all that he needed to feel that he would be successful there. And so he did. And he went to Egypt, and then he bugged Pharaoh. Every time Pharaoh turned around, here comes Moses. And also the Lord sent Aaron as well, which I think is very interesting. And the other part that's very interesting that I found is Moses was 80 years old at this point in time. And Aaron was 83. So to deal with that and to be in that situation where you're asked to do something that just doesn't feel comfortable to do, but to find yourself able to say yes and to do it. So let me, let me, um, let me, let me share this, because one of the things that dawned on me when I read this scripture was that Moses, now having done that, having spent the time going back and forth to Pharaoh, pleading the case, finally Pharaoh says, look, just go. <laughs> He's like, our firstborns are dying. I said, look, I, y'all, y'all got to go. And so they left. And then they get there, and they're on their way to the promised land. And what do they do? They see the Egyptians coming. Why? Because Pharaoh got up and said, wait a minute. We, we, we don't have anybody else to make bricks. This isn't going to work. <laughs> so they see the Egyptians coming, and they panic. Right? They panic. And they reach out to Moses, who probably is already somewhat stressed, and he gets even more stressed. And I could imagine he's looking there and saying, oh, come on, y'all, really? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> you can just imagine that. Now, the thing that struck me about this when I read it this time was that some of this is very similar to being a dad. Right? Some of this is very similar to just being an adult living in this world where you're trying to do the right things despite everything around you pushing you to do something different. And a lot of this just becomes a feeling of stress. It's just this stress. And we're going to talk a minute about stress. I'm going to put on my doctor hat here a minute because stress is one of these things where as I read this, I realized that one of the challenges about being a father is really the fact that it can be stressful. It absolutely can be stressful. So I'm not going to sit up here and make it seem like being a father is easy. I get up every day and I, we have fun. We don't. No, it's stressful. It, it, it just is, right? But God has put me in that position and, and has asked me and put Mark in my life for me to steward him just as he asked Moses to do something. So as I looked at this, it reminded me that the stress is very similar to the stress that that Moses must have been under. 
And then I started to think a lot more about what that really meant. And I'll just share a little bit about, because uh, <laughs> I'm one of these guys where I can find stress even where there shouldn't be stress. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna admit it to you. So I, uh, I run, I like to run as many know. And uh, last year I decided I was gonna buy a new running watch, right? Cause I want a watch that can not only tell me how fast I'm going and how long I run, but you know, I'm one of those geeks that I need to know how long my stride length is, how much time I'm spending on which foot versus the other, because I'm convinced that all those things are gonna make me a better runner. Not, not sure that that did. But one of the things that I did when I bought this is I decided to buy one that had a way for me to measure my stress level. I said, this is gonna, this is gonna be good. I'll measure my stress, I'll work on it, I'll get this stress down, this is gonna work. So I sat there and I put this strap on, and I'm sitting there for two minutes, and I'm watching this, and I'm doing like you do when you go to the doctor and you get your blood pressure checked, and you're trying to do everything to make your blood pressure low, so I'm, I'm sitting there and you know, I'm trying to think good thoughts, and, Two minutes go by, and then all of a sudden this thing starts flashing at me in red. 99! And that's out of 100, by the way. Severe stress. <laughs> and so I'm like, wait, wait, hold on, wait a minute. So I proceeded over the next few days to continue to do this and found myself getting stressed over the stress score. <laughs> so it's like, like that, that made no sense, but, that, but I'm, I'm just giving you an example of you know, just who I am. I, I can find stress where there shouldn't even be stress. And so, can you go to the next slide for me? So this is a picture of me back when I had some hair and I was at a high top fade back then and wow, wow. <laughs> That's a trip, isn't it? But it reminds me of the fact that what I did for a large part of my life was I was a neonatologist. I still consider myself a neonatologist. And what a neonatologist is, is I specialized in taking care of babies who were born who were gonna need some form of life support. Most typically there were babies who were born early. So they were born, normal babies born at 40 weeks. These were babies that are born at 24 weeks, so 16 weeks early. And they're small, they're fragile, their lungs aren't prepared to work, their kidneys aren't prepared to work, their heart's not prepared to work. And so I, and God put me in that position as a neonatologist to be there to fight for these little children. So I'd like you just close your eyes for a minute, just imagine this. So here it is, it's, you know, you're sleeping in the hospital and it's two o'clock in the morning and you get a phone call. And that phone call is telling you emergently run down to the operating room because they're about to deliver a baby who's tw 24 weeks. So you wake up and barely you know, wipe your face and you're running out the door and, and you're gathering your team and you're going down to the operating room as you've done so many times. And so imagine though that you also have a family there. You have a dad, you have a mom who are expecting the best. They weren't expecting to be in this position. They've already often decorated the baby's room, chosen a name, shared the good news and expectancy with their friends and family, and now they find themselves in this position where this baby's gonna be born at a point where, in their mind, the baby might not survive. So I come in there with my team, and as I watch this unfold, I'm handed a tube because this baby isn't breathing, and it's my job to put this tube in. So I get the equipment and put the tube in and 
to make sure that we can get oxygen into this baby so that we don't get into a situation where the baby's brain has been deprived of oxygen because that's an awful thing as one can imagine. And it's, all this is unfolding. You've got the parents watching. You've got the nursing team watching me, watching me as the leader of this team to perform this vital function. I know some of you are thinking, now I know why he doesn't do that anymore. Because <laughs> that's mad stress, right? That's mad stress. There's no doubt about it. But that said, the flip side of that is, I've had the opportunity to go to more birthday parties of kids that started out this small, gone to college, got a chance to go to reunions, reconnect with the families, and you realize, just like Moses was asked to be in a certain place, as difficult as it may be, I was asked to be in that place. And just as Moses, I experienced the stress of being in that place. Now, one of the things about the stress that's, that's fascinating to me is that, you know, I can talk about this extreme example of being a neonatologist, but stress also follows us through some things that are supposed to just be plain fun. Next slide, please. So one of the other things I mentioned is I have this role of being Coach Charles now lately. Now, the interesting thing here is I'm coaching Little League Baseball, and I know nothing about baseball. <laughs> I'll, I'll just admit it. I grew up in Buffalo, New York. We didn't have a professional baseball team. You know, the way I knew baseball was somebody's shirt was first base, somebody's, you know, backpack was second. I didn't know how many people were on the team. It was based on how many people we had. I didn't know that when you played second base, you don't stand at second. I, I knew nothing about baseball. But I was called to be there because Mark looked up and said, Daddy, I want to play baseball. So what do I do? I get out there, and I'm coaching baseball. <laughs> we know a lot more about baseball, but you talk about stress and something that should be fun. I've got 12 boys who are looking to me as Coach Charles to assure them that they're going to win. <laughs> right. <laughs> stress, and in that moment. Switch to the next slide here for me. That's what stress looks like. That's what stress looked like for Moses. That's what stress looks like for, for so many of us. It's this physical, chemical, emotional factor that causes bodily or mental tension and maybe a factor in disease causation. So in this, we're reminded of the fact that stress can be bad for you, right? I mean, stress, stress can be bad for you. Let's go to the next slide, please. And we think about all these things. When we talk about stress, there's these acute effects. These are the immediate effects of stress. Your, your, your dry mouth and fatigue and you know, irritability and you're breathing fast and your heart's racing and all those things that we associate with being bad for us. And then you get to the chronic effects, the next slide. And on that list are things like heart attacks, things like suppressed immune system, so we're more vulnerable to colds. And a lot of data is actually suggesting that some of that vulnerability actually spills over into vulnerability for certain types of cancer. Right? This stress is a bad thing. So now you look at this and say, huh, okay. <laughs> God's putting Moses in this position. God is putting many of us in this position where we're feeling stress. 
I'm, I'm trying to figure this one out. It's, it's, it's stressful, doesn't feel good, but I'm supposed to be there to do it. Next slide, please. And what's also happened sometimes is when we're dealing with stress, we have these unhealthy responses. We all know people who with stress, they drink, they smoke, they do things that are just not good for themselves and people around them. They isolate themselves, which is, I think, an interesting one because, you know, that's, that's, that's also isolates you as a dad from the rest of your family. So I can come home, I can be stressed about the day and should be interacting with Mark, but no, I just want to, I just want to be by myself. I, I, don't, I don't want to father that day. All right? Let's go to the next slide. But then there's healthy responses as well. And without going through all these, I want to point out something. Again, what I'm showing you here is kind of my journey in understanding this and struggling with this. So hopefully you're at that place where we're like, okay, I'm not sure what this is, where this is going. You got me worried about stress and let me see. But this jumped out at me. This idea about changing our perception of stress as being a healthy response. Think about it, changing our perception of stress. Can I get the next slide? And there's a little video that I stumbled upon this woman here. For years, I've been telling people stress makes you sick. It increases the risk of everything from the common cold to cardiovascular disease. Basically, I've turned stress into the enemy. But I've changed my mind about stress. And today, I want to change yours. Let me start with the study that made me rethink my whole approach to stress. This study tracked 30,000 adults in the United States for eight years. And they started by asking people, how much stress have you experienced in the last year? They also asked, do you believe that stress is harmful for your health? And then they used public death records to find out who died. Okay. Some bad news first. People who experienced a lot of stress in the previous year had a 43% increased risk of dying. But that was only true for the people who also believed that stress is harmful for your health. People who experienced a lot of stress but did not view stress as harmful were no more likely to die. In fact, they had the lowest risk of dying of anyone in the study, including people who had relatively little stress. Now, the researchers estimated that over the eight years they were tracking deaths, 182,000 Americans died prematurely, not from stress, but from the belief that stress is bad for you. <laughs> that is over 20,000 deaths a year. Now, if that estimate is correct, that would make believing stress is bad for you the 15th largest cause of death in the United States last year, killing more people than skin cancer, HIV, AIDS, and homicide. So that was, stri that was striking to me. And again, I'm walking you through this journey. And it started to reveal to me that part of the challenge was the way I thought about stress. Next slide, please. Thing about stress, stress allows you to send more blood to your tissues, right? That's why your heart's beating faster, right? You're breathing faster because you're getting more oxygen in. You're getting ready. It's part of this fight or flight response. 
It's God preparing us to do what God has put us in the situation to do. Here's a picture of Mark in baseball. You can see we're spending a lot of time with baseball these days. You can't quite see it, but the look on his face. And you got to imagine, see, here's the thing. That's probably why I didn't play much baseball. You're standing up there, and you've got this kid who seems like he's way too close to you about to throw something at you that might as well be a rock. <laughs> right? And they're taught to throw it as hard as they can, as fast as they can. <laughs> as I said, you know why I didn't play much baseball. And you have to stand there with everybody watching you. Look at the background. You see the other kids watching him at that point in time? So they're looking at, they're looking to Mark to hit the ball that's being thrown at him with that type of force. They're looking to him to help them be victorious. Is he feeling nervous? Is his heart rate, is his heart rate elevated? Is he breathing more quickly? He's doing all those things that are preparing him in that moment to succeed and to be victorious. I talk about the things I learned from my son. Now, the other thing about this story is by him being able to take that which is stress and capture and understand, even unconsciously, that it's preparing him, not only does he hit the ball, but he's had two walk-off RBIs. Now, again, for those... And this is his first time playing organized baseball. And one might say, well, he's just gifted. He's got skills. It takes more than gifting and skills to succeed in the things that we're called to do. When I'm handed that tube as a neonatologist, I might have done all the training. I might have intubated pigs and other things and labs and whatever. But to get there and to do that, I am harnessing all these things that I might call stress to allow me to be successful and to be victorious. Next slide, please. So now we go back to the passage and we see how Moses responded. Moses responded like this, didn't he, Mark? Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Yes. Amen. 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 So part of what I want to leave you with today is this understanding, and I'm going to give you something to, to help with this. I want to leave you with this understanding that when we start to see stress as God preparing us 
to do the things that God needs us to do, not only for our own victory, but the victory of everyone and for his glory, we're going to be not only that much better at doing it, but we're also going to get some enjoyment from it. Right? And this is important. This is really important because, and I go back to the example of Mark, he enjoys baseball. He's put me in coach. <laughs> let, let, I hope he walks so I can be the guy with the bat in my hand <laughs> when we have two outs and two men on base. Right? We want to have that attitude. God, put me in. Right? Put, put me in the game. Position me in that place, even though it may be difficult, because I know you're going to be there with me. I know that you're going to make sure that I'm going to succeed. Like Moses, I know you've already given me the staff that would turn to the snake. <laughs> I know that you'll bring plagues. I know you're going to do those things to allow me to accomplish just what you asked me to do when I met you in that burning bush. Next slide, please. So what I'd like to leave you with this is glorify God and get on base. So here are the things that God gave me as I was thinking about this to help me in every day to be mindful of just this point. The first one, click for me, please. B, be of God courage. And you notice at the bottom I have Romans 8, 28. And you see how this ties together. Be of God courage. Be confident. Be confident because we know, we know that God is going to orchestrate everything. We have to know that God is going to orchestrate everything. And that is what being of God courage is about. The next one is A, to activate your faith, to activate our faith. And this is, again, because we have to have faith in knowing and believing in God's power to have everything work for good. Everything will work for good, and we have to have faith in that fact to allow us to see this stress as something that is preparing us and to allow us to know that we will be victorious. The next one is S, to seek his face always. These good, the good and the beautiful that occurs is really only going to happen if we are constantly in communication with God to make sure that the things that we are doing are the things that God is needing us to do and not the things that we're thinking we just want to do. And the only way you do that is through prayer and through meditation and for staying connected to God. When you have those difficult decisions, because I don't want you to walk away from here saying, I should just take on more stress. Let me just, uh, let me go there. Let me, no. no. That's not what I want to communicate. What I want to communicate is be very clear in opening your mind to what God intends for you to do. And in doing that, 
have the confidence, the courage, and the faith to know that you will be successful. And the last one is E, to expect favor. At the end of it, to expect favor. Because we are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love him and accept his invitation to live according to his plan. Last couple slides here. Some of you might be wondering, three little birds, what does it have to do with anything? <laughs> Let's see if anyone can pick that up. Yaman. So this picture is of my dad. And oddly enough, tomorrow would have been my dad's 83rd birthday, about Aaron's age. And one of the things that uh, my dad was just uh, so amazing about is, and all who've known him can attest to this, is he was one of these people who just knew that he was going to succeed. He was an immigrant from Jamaica, coming from way up a bush, <laughs> coming to the U.S. because he was going to go to Alfred University, landed in New York City because he knew Alfred was in New York, only to find that Alfred University was way out in western New York. But he knew that he was called to be a doctor, and nothing was going to get in his way. And I think, quite honestly, as I reflected on this and I heard these voices, it reminded me of the fact that he already understood these principles, and this is what he was pouring into us. And part of the way he did that is he had a song that he would always sing called Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. I'm not the singer, so I'm not going to try to sing it. <laughs> But it talks about the fact that we're not to worry. These three little birds come along, and the message that those three little birds have for us is to not worry. Don't worry, because every little thing is going to be all right.